Live Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog for sports odds, free casino games, make a play at Bodog.net. Watton and J-Pat here with you, but we're handing the show over to others today, J-Pat. We're going to take our time here on a Friday, put our feet up a little bit. We've got some Ask J-Pats to get to. We're going to talk to our buddy Patrick Johnston as well, and then we'll put a bow on the show with a little playoff talk. So I, I am needed or I'm not? You are. You are. Well, they're Ask J-Pat, so I guess I'm All handing right. the show over to others. I mean, I'm, I'm putting my feet up more than anyone else. Just before we get into any of that, yeah, like sure. you know, this is sort of the, the dog days of the offseason, not a whole lot happening. We're down to three teams still alive in the Stanley Cup playoffs and obviously the other teams all getting their ducks in a row whether it's front office personnel or coaches scouting meetings all that kind of stuff but I love this like it's going to heat up here like this is the final weekend of May we're basically four weekends away from the NHL draft like it's getting there and you know it's not just the draft obviously the draft is fertile ground for trading partners to find each other and beyond that free agency so yeah, we're grinding through, certainly, and we've been able to keep this up and rink wide a day, keeps the, the doctor away or something like that. But uh, Keeps us busy. <laughs> but I do like, I was just looking at the, at the calendar today, I was like, all right, end of May, yeah. giddy up, let's go, because uh, June is, not only will the Stanley Cup be handed out but, and the awards, but there will be team activity around the National Hockey League. Yeah, I think there's going to be quite a bit, too. I, I don't know if it's going to involve the Vancouver Canucks. I know the Vancouver Canucks are going to try to do a lot, because they want to try to get their salary cap right. But I think there might be some movement there. And of course, a lot of eyes are on what's going on in Toronto, whether they're going to move one of those big guys. And if that does happen, that could really shake up the NHL. We'll see exactly what happens there. And of course, they're on a timeline because of course, guys, uh, trade protection kicks in. So yep. the Canucks too with JT Miller. I was thinking about this the other day. I think they should get rid of no moves and no trades. I think they should be just exclusively for guys at some point in their career, like whether you're a 30 plus or, or something like that. Because to me, it just, it hinders a lot of the movement in the league. And to me, it just gives the player too much power, I think. You know, like you're paying these guys handsomely. And if they're not producing for you, you should be able to move off them. I know I'm throwing a curveball at you here, but I've been thinking about that I mean, it's all all collectively bargained and and the players want more control Mm -hmm. of their career. I get that. I I hear where you're coming from. And I do wonder, like, could it be a one-time, you know, one contract, (laughs) one contract in your career? Uh, you can apply some trade protection and you have to, you know, strategically figure out where you are in your life, where you are in your family life, where you are in your team cycle, all those types of things. Uh, it certainly would lubricate the wheel of trade a little bit more if the players had no say. But again, they've collectively bargained for it. It gives them control and power to sort of steer their careers in the direction that they want. And as we've learned, like no movement clauses are pretty ironclad. No trade if a team says, look, dude, we're sitting here, you're not going to play, like work with us. We have seen a lot of guys with no trade clauses. Essentially, it just allows them to control the process so that they don't wind up in a place that they absolutely don't want to be for whatever reason. But no trade never means no trade, no movement, I think, essentially gives a guy the full hammer of, you know, absolute and utter control. But I'd be all for loosening it a little bit, but again, I haven't collectively bargained for it. So, you know, pretty hard to believe that the players would back off something that they have worked pretty hard to attain. Yeah. And, and like we've seen it happen before. A player like Ryan McDonough basically, Tampa said, listen, we, we got to move you, right? Uh, he would sort of fit, though, what I'm trying to argue for. Like he would be one of those veteran players. I think that you got to reach a certain point, I think, in your career to be able to earn that. Again, like you said, it was collectively bargained already, so I don't think my argument is going to stand up anywhere. But I don't know. I've just been thinking about that a little bit lately. Whether 
you know, just to see some more movement around the league as well. It'd be more interesting when there is more ability to move guys. Uh, we asked the people for some Ask J-Pats today. So this is where you got to work. All okay, right. I just got to read the questions. You got to answer them. <laughs> okay. So we asked the people for some Ask J-Pats. We got a few here I want to get into. We'll start here with Ella and asking, what are the chances percentage-wise that Elias Patterson doesn't re-sign this offseason? Now, I think people do have to realize like he doesn't have to sign this summer like right. they can go yeah. into next year and 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 you know look at uh, what happened with uh, David Pasternak right Bruins got it done and they got it done what how three quarters of the way through the season something like that so but I want you to answer though what you think the percentage is that he doesn't sign this offseason uh I'm gonna say 40 mm. I'm gonna say that uh, there yeah. is no race here that yeah. uh now you know does he want it to drag on into next season no is there certainly incentive for the hockey club to get it done yes if he has another 100 point season then the meter is running and and his price probably just goes sky high but i think the 100 point season already puts him in pretty rarefied air so uh like there's absolute incentive for him to get the bag and and have that security and not have it weigh on him and all those types of things because he admitted that the last time around i remember he didn't report training camp and the slow start and he admitted that that was part of it so yeah, I mean, maybe I'm shooting a little bit high there, but I also get this sense that, you know, he wants to see how this, like I've seen people saying like July 1st, forget free agency, whatever, like Canucks have to get this done on. I don't think the race is on to get it done on July the 1st. I, I just, I don't. And if I'm in Patterson camp, I'm stepping back and I'm saying, you show me your cards here. Like, show me, show me that you're going to be able to not just unravel this cap mess, but start to apply whatever cap flexibility you have in addressing areas of concern to make this team better. Because as we've said, running it back, it's not the strategy. It's not, this team's not good enough on defense. It's not good enough uh, in its bottom six forward group. It's got star power. But if it was only about star power, McDavid and Dreisaitl would still be playing and uh, they're not. So I just, I don't get the sense that there is going to be an absolute urgency on the part of Elias Pettersson. I can be completely wrong on this one. I don't know what his motivations are are going to be other than to get the best contract possible. But you know, like, that's not, to me, that doesn't feel like something that has to happen on July 1st or 2nd. Now, this would be pure speculation on your part, but is there a chance you think that perhaps Patterson, you know, puts the screws to them and says, listen, like you guys got to show me right now. Like you got to show me the plan on how we're going to get out of this mess because like, let's face it, he's been in a mess the entire time he's been with Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. And I just get the sense from him, like, you know, This is a guy that he wants to win. He's driven. He kind of has done his part as Quinn Hughes has done his part. And they know that they can't do it alone, that we saw that in Vancouver, but we've seen it with McDavid, Dreisaitl and and other really good players. Toronto Maple Leafs got star power, but they don't have a cup and they're not playing. So, you know, it goes way beyond just one or two or three pieces. It's about assembling the best team and the right kind of guys that can, you know, go through the wall for you at playoff time and all those types of things. So, yeah, if I'm Elias Pettersson, you know, look, whatever the Canucks sold to Andre Kuzmenko in his camp, Kuzmenko, you know, there was a presentation that obviously hit home with Kuzmenko and he elected to sign here. The college free agents, probably a different sort of presentation, but still, it's still a had, sell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Aid McDonough was a draft choice, but he was going to have options. They had to sell him and he elected to sign here. You know, whether it's uh, Akito Hiroshi or, or Cole McWard at the end, like those guys had options too. We know that there were other teams in on them. 
And Patrick Alvin has done a pretty nice job of selling these guys on the Vancouver Canucks. So I would assume that he would keep that script pretty handy. Probably needs a little couple of tweaks when you're dealing with Leas Pedersen and, and like he's got JP Barry and Pat Brisson, like the best of the best. You know, they're not going to just say, sure. Yeah. looks good. Give us the paperwork. We'll sign off. Like I think there's going to be some real negotiations. I think there's going to be some demands on the Pedersen part about timeline and direction and you know now that there's a you know they've got their coach so he's not gonna have to deal with any kind of coaching change in the foreseeable future Mm -hmm. this is the group and so he knows that you can check off that box and and Pedersen played well and performed for Rick Tockett and was given every opportunity from increased ice time to penalty killing you know I, I do think that there has to be more of a role for him on the power play that six power play goals I'd like to see that doubled and that may not sound like much, but in a you know, tight game, power play goal here, power play goal there can be the difference. And and just the fact that, you know, he kind of was the third option on the power plays, their best player. Get him the puck more on the power play. And, and, you know, they've moved off Jason King. So who's running the power play? What does that look like? Does Pedersen get any kind of say in what the power play looks like in his role and all those types of things? So it's going to be fascinating to watch. I'm going to revise. I'm going to go from 40 to 35. Let's go with 35. So basically two-thirds chance that he does get a deal done this summer, but I still think that it could drag into next year. What do you think? How many years do you think he's going to get for this contract? Because he'll be 25 in November. Yeah. And we've sort of seen things like like Austin Matthews' second contract was a little different than a lot of people's, right, right? with that five years. And from what we're hearing out of Toronto right now is they're probably going to go another five years with him. So that'll get him to be able to hit a third contract at like 30. So if you're Pedersen and you're looking at that going, you know, perhaps a five-year deal might be best for him so he can hit another home run by the time he's 30. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at other contracts and the way they line up. Thatcher Demko's got three years. Kuzmenko's got two. Mm-hmm. Thatcher Demko's got three. Quinn Hughes has four. That really feels like a competitive window because if Thatcher Demko continues to play at or near his highest level, he's going to be able to command an awful lot more when that deal is done. Uh, if Kuzmenko continues to score, you know, what does his next contract ask look like if he's a close to a 40-goal score? And then, of course, Quinn Hughes on this value, it's a steal of a contract, but there's two years down and, you know, and they've gone absolutely nowhere as a team. You know, be careful because obviously Patterson's getting a massive raise and Quinn Hughes will be in line for a massive raise. And, and we don't know where the cap will be in four years time. You'd like to think that there would be significant growth in the salary cap. And so that would create some flexibility, but just... Yeah, I mean, I think all those things would play into and Pedersen and his camp would have done their homework and they'd be aware of, you know, where other guys slot in and all that kind of stuff. Um, but do you I, see I eight years? Do, I under, do, well, do you think he goes eight? I, I Like, if you're the Vancouver Canucks, like, you just think about the math. For the team, if they can get him for eight years, even if it's 11 million per 88 million, it seems incredible. But what if he's, you know, let's the, the other math. Okay, so 88 is 11 by eight. And then you've got cost certainty and it's a massive number, but he's secured himself and his kids and his kids' kids forever. I mean, it's more money than he's going to be able to spend in a couple of lifetimes. So there's something to be said about security. But if you're the Canucks and you're kind of thinking, oh man, 88 million bucks. What if he did five years at 11 million? There's 55. And what if he absolutely knocks it out of the park in those five years and then wants 14 because the cap has gone up? It rarely is better financially for the hockey team to sort of, you know, take it in chunks like that. But, and again, 
numbers are, they don't make sense to you and me in our daily lives. It's easy for me to say, oh yeah, take a five-year deal, bet on yourself, and then crush it again. And I commend Austin Matthews for doing that. But there's also this idea, if somebody is going to put $88 million U.S. <laughs> in front of me yeah. on July the 1st, uh, I would be foolish to walk away from that. Because you can negotiate, they can go back and forth and grind and all those types of things. But in terms of the dollars, I think the framework is pretty clear. Like, I think that's kind of in the ballpark for Elias Pedersen. He's not a $14 million guy. He's no longer an $8 million guy. He is probably in that 10 and a half to $11 million range. And, you know, can they get creative in the way that it's structured and how much of it's cash and how much of it's salary bonus and all the signing bonus and all those types of things. Like, that's why he has an agent to, you know, absolutely tweak the deal the best that it can be for him. But there is something to be said. Like if locking yourself in, you know, would Conrad David have been better to take a short-term contract and put himself on the open market and handpicked a team that was, you know, right there knocking on the door. If it's all about winning the Stanley Cup, I guess that's the danger is if you lock in for eight years, it doesn't mean that we established. It doesn't mean that you yeah. can't move off that or they can't move off the contract. But if you lock yourself in for eight more years of what we've seen the past eight years with the Vancouver Canucks, I can't even yeah. imagine. I, I just uttered no. that sentence. But <laughs> but there is something to be said about, like, you know, if it's three more years of just spinning their wheels, like, Elias Pedersen is going to say, I didn't sign up for this. Like, I, I want to see progress. I'm demanding progress. And I'm sure the hockey club will guarantee that they're going to make progress and they're going to do everything in their power. But proof's in the pudding always. And we know that, you know, from 2011, there have been a lot of promises made and not a lot of postseason success for the Vancouver Canucks. Okay, we got a couple more here, both from Bruce. So we'll start with the first one here. Is there concern about organizational flexibility the Canucks have being tied for the most contracts, 38, against the 50 cap, but having the 28th ranked prospect pool going into the offseason? Yikes. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of numbers that don't, look flattering for the Vancouver Canucks and certainly the cap allocation prospect pool. Like we've covered all that to death. We deal with a, an informed and a savvy listener you know, audience. Like people know where the issues are for the Vancouver Canucks. I was a little surprised, quite frankly, I, I guess I hadn't tracked it that closely, but when I saw the number of contracts committed, because the way that cap friendly does it, I think, you know, they've got their cap allocation with 18 of 23 roster spots so they still need to sign some players and whether it's ethan bear or akito hiroshi is going to get himself a contract and nils hopeland like those deals have to get done and so again it just complicates matters you could be over the salary cap in the summer that's fine but you do have to be cap compliant by opening night and so patrick alvin keeps saying at least he has in his media availabilities we haven't heard from him in a month but you know in past media availabilities kind of shrugged it off like, oh, we'll be cap compliant. Of course you will. The rules say you have to be. So to me, he kind of was a little nonchalant about it, but under the surface or behind the scenes, you know, you hope there's a plan. You hope they can execute that plan. Because as we've said, if they get past the first wave of free agency after July 1st, and they're still over the cap and have all these players, other teams are just going to sit back and laugh and say, like, give us everything. Like, you have no other option. Like, we're the bank now. Can't go to the league and ask for exemptions and those types of things. And long-term injury will get you only so far. The other teams, they're the bank at that point, and they will make you pay through the nose. Yeah, and Bruce follows it up, though, by saying, 
Is trading Garland going to clear enough cap space if the Canucks still need five or more players for roster spots? And that's a great question because at that point, you're bargain bin hunting, right? Well, you are, or you're looking at guys in Abbotsford. And, yeah. you know, they've got some young guys that have pushed and maybe deserve an opportunity. But is Archie Baines ready to play in the National Hockey League or is he going to get thrown in because, you know, he's on an attractive contract that makes sense and fits, you know, what little room the Vancouver Canucks have? So, you know, nothing is generally given in pro sports, but the Canucks have painted themselves into a corner where some guys may have to be given an opportunity. Now, they're going to have to show up and, and perform at training camp. And for a lot of these guys, this will be a first camp under Rick Tockett. And for the Abbotsford guys, you know, Tockett would have gone and watched them, but they haven't really played for him yet. So, you know, there's still some sorting out to do. But, hey, Nils Amon came out of nowhere. You know, we haven't even got to sort of that European free agents. Like there may still be players coming out of this world hockey championship that we've been talking an awful lot. You know, maybe there are a few curveballs on attractive contracts for the Vancouver Canucks, but yeah, there's no doubt that they're not going to have a lot of money. We addressed that the other day that, you know, some of those names, Gavrikov and Barbashev, that people have kind of spitballed around the Canucks. There's just no way. Like, those guys are unrestricted free agents that are going to be able to command term and dollar. And the Canucks just can't this year with where they are unless, unless they are able to, you know, detonate the salary cap somehow, some way and move a bunch of money. But I'm expecting that, you know, they're not going to just crush this massive hole in their salary cap, I do think it's going to be cutting around the edges to make it work somehow, some way. And that's why a lot of discussion this week about that 11th overall pick, you know, what's its currency? Is it in play? Because I think people do see that that is maybe the quickest route out of the absolute cap hell that they are in. Yeah, I'm just sort of looking at salary cap right now on cap friendly looking at the players wondering who outside of that draft pick that you talked about could be a sweetener here i know we talked about uh, archer Seelofs yesterday don't know if that necessarily would be a, a good option for the canucks i'm really looking at Ilya mikhaev like i'm wondering if they think you know what that was a mistake that we made last year you know can we move off this player now he's got a modified no trade it's 12 teams So he's movable. And as we mentioned, I guess everybody's essentially movable. But I wonder if they look at that and go, you know what? Ah, That was a mistake by us. We got to do something here. Again, I think uh, we addressed this on an earlier pod. A guy coming off uh, basically reconstructive knee surgery. Yeah, I think that's a red flag to a lot of teams. And, you know, we've seen that wingers on the open, on the trade market are just, they're devalued. It's just look around the league in recent years. And again, like Ilya Mikheyev, if he's completely healthy, can be a terrific player. He was a 20 goal scorer in Toronto. He had decent numbers on a bad wheel here last year, but we just don't see hockey trades because teams know that the Canucks are up against it. So rather than another team saying, yeah, we kind of like Mikheyev, let's make a deal. They're like, you guys are over a barrel. As much as we like Mikheyev, you know, we're doing you a favor if we're taking them. And to do that favor, you're going to have to sweeten that pot. So they're just, they are funny because i see a lot of pushback on social and people are like you guys are overblowing this and you know garland's a good player look connor garland's an nhler don't get me wrong but if it was easy to trade him they would have done it this wouldn't be like we'd be out of wouldn't be out of business but this line of conversation would be long gone same with besser they couldn't trade him his agent couldn't broker a deal but there is a reason for all of this. This isn't media fabrication and speculation. And it's the local media that's talked about it. National media is onto it as well. In a cap, hard cap world, 
you know, you paint yourself into a corner. It's pretty, t- you can't just call in like the you know construction company to, to renovate at that point, like do it yourself. And unfortunately doing it themselves for far too many years now has just continued to uh, pile on the problems. Yeah. And to bring it full circle from our conversation here, they don't have any protection as well and they still can't move them as for the Canucks. So yeah, going to be interesting this off season, but we'll see what the Canucks can do considering how tied their hands are. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. And joining us now after a week off down (laughs) at Disneyland, Patrick Johnston from the province, Post Media, joining us now. How are you today? I'm good. It was a very relaxing week off. And, uh... And of course, the news never stops. So it's good to no. be, you know, I literally, as I said on S&P the other day, I woke up on Tuesday morning and there's just like news immediately. So yeah, it's amazing. Um, what happens. I always get it confused. Which one is Disneyland and which one is Disney World? Disney World is the much larger one in Florida. Okay. That's the one I've been to. I haven't <laughs> been to the, the other one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Disneyland's the classic. And then, you know, as my wife said, you know, at a certain level, you walk around and you're like, this is just the P&E, a little bit bigger than the P&E, but everything's Disney. <laughs> and, and of course... Like, I mean, who knows? Well, hold, on, hold on. It better be better than the PNE. Well, in terms of the <laughs> rides, the rides are simple. Like, the rides are straightforward, okay. especially okay. if you're doing it with little kids. I mean, obviously, there's yeah. can, there's a California Adventure, and there's all these. There are, like, huge rides to do. Yeah. But when you do go there with little kids, it's like going to the PNE. Okay. But we had, like, don't get me wrong. It's just, great. We had a good time. Just in, in American dollars at in Disney America, prices. And, and, and at Disney prices. And you're literally, yeah, in front row to the most incredible money printing machine the world yeah. has ever yeah. created. <laughs> Been there and done it a few the times. The people walking around in their Disney uniforms, that alone, you're just like, I mean, okay. But you're like, that alone, you know, the, the sweaters are $90. Like, wow. Well, okay. Well, speaking of costs, <laughs> I see that you, nice. uh, you, you've sleuthed something here when it comes to the seating at Rogers Arena. Now, I know our buddy Ryan Henderson from Donnie and Dolly, like he, this is, it seems to be his thing. He just eagle eye when it comes to the seats and how everyone wants them changed there. But what have you sleuthed? Because it sounds like there's a, a new section of VIP. Sleuth, section I mean, up. sleuth is overcooking it because <laughs> as we know, Rob Williams has been on this too. Yeah, but really, true. what just... it is is sleuth. I mean, I had first heard about it ages ago, and certainly I there were a few others around that we'd sort of piece together some stuff. And then you just start hearing from fans. Have you heard about this? You know, I mean, this is how kind of you know, this is the simplest form of how how journalism works. Is that someone tells you something, and you're like, oh, you go off it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah they're building. I mean, they're building a new essentially. Uh, it's a lounge with with you know direct access to the seats in the lower bowl in the middle of 117, which is right behind the benches. Uh, but it's a, it's high enough that you're looking over the benches, I guess. Like, it's a pretty great viewing spot. I get it. You know, there's a lot to it. You're like, I get it. 
Um, this is something that other arenas have. Uh, it's funny. As soon as I start punching in a few places, I immediately, you know, it was an, it was a, you know, I was in Pittsburgh in January and I, you know, you literally walk past what's called the Captain Morgan club uh, and which is, you know, a, a large space underneath that's right there. So it's a similar kind of setup. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it sounds like it's like, you know, there's, there's a, a dine, full dining experience, you know, they've, you know, one of the things that they do do well, like I will, you know, you do give the Canucks credit is they do food very well. So there's food, you know, full bar you're signing up. It's a three-year license, like essentially that you have to commit to. So you access to everything. Now, you know, that's not for everyone. Certainly, at least a couple of the guy fans that I have heard from were kind of like or, or, or heard of were, you know, given this presentation and they were just kind of like, but I, I just want to watch hockey. <laughs> yeah, fair so, enough. you know, there's a very specific type of person to, they're looking to spend, get to spend money. You get to go to all the concerts and all the games and everything that happens there. And it's always there. But it's obviously a top high end ticket, you know. I, I I guess there's enough people in town that are looking to spend this kind of dough at Rogers Arena. I I I guess. I mean, it's a man, we, yeah. we do well. Yeah, I mean that's that. I'm kind of curious to see who ends up there. Sixty seats, sixty sixty spaces available, and then yeah. So anybody who didn't take it up has been relocated. They're going to other other places. You know, I I think there are. I mean, I know at least a few of those people that are being moved. You know, I don't think they're terribly happy about it. There, those are there's a long time. You know, the, the season ticket holder base is now in, is a mix. There's a lot of there's a good number of long time people who've been there forever. You know, a lot of them get recognized every game when they get to do the you know wind the horn at the beginning of the game and beginning of the period and whatnot. But you, yeah, I mean, inevitably you also have you know corporate money involved and that kind of thing. And you know, some of this is about also just how that whole end of the market is changing. Somebody essentially said to me that in many ways the Canucks are kind of moving away from the traditional sweet business, be, partly because of the realities of. Of, of how our lives have shifted, right? Like work from home means that people aren't downtown as much. There's no, not as many people, you know, hanging around at the office ready to go to the Canucks game. And that applies to clients too, right? I mean, a lot of team, a lot of businesses have had boxes over the years to entertain clients and there's just not as many clients around, you know, there's just not as many people hanging about. So I, you know, I certainly have heard anecdotes of, of, of firms that are not renewing their suites. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a shift in the direction in terms of who, you know, corporate money, hot top end money is very important to hockey teams in terms of how they, how they fund their operations. So seeing this kind of thing, I mean, like I said, this is not a unique thing. The Canucks are not the first to have done this, but we'll see, you know, where the trend goes. They don't, as, as we often discuss, they do not have a lot of, a lot of space to add things like this. They're up, they're building, they're building a lounge under the stands. Sounds like there is some movement happening with, I mean, the visitors dressing room got moved last year anyway. So I, I, my impression is that this is connected, whether that means they were moving the full tunnel, I don't know, but I, perhaps that is the case because of certainly the sort of intentions that, you know, how they, how they, how the Canucks wanted traffic flow in and out of the visitors dressing room to work. You know, they did, they, their original intention had not, had been to not have anybody go down that tunnel anymore, but, you know, because of access issues and the fact that you were going to have people walking past the players change area and only have really one door in and out. I mean, that was, that was a very early conflict that the Canucks ran into. The Sabres were the first team to kind of come in and realize that in the end, in the NHL forced them to open access to the other end of, you know, it's back in the old way that, that 
media used to go in and the players used to go in. There used to be two ways in and out of, of the visitor's room. And so I, we'll see how that affects. I'm not sure. The Canucks aren't commenting, strangely. Like, this is one of these ones where, like, you know, all of us ask, hey, you know, because the, there was a concert, I guess, and, you know, we saw Ryan tweet about it. And a few other people said, yeah, I know I've seen it. And then they had a season ticket holder event on Wednesday. And, you know, basically, you know, there's that chase. You're looking for little t- tidbits here and there. And Rob and I, and I think quads over Canucks Army all got the same answer, which is eh, nothing to say right now. And you're kind of like, really? <laughs> like, not even on this? But this is, I guess, the world we're in right now. I'm fascinated to see the final product, if they'll ever let us see the final product. I'm not going to be spending <laughs> 25 grand to, to poke my head into this new lounge. But as you said, like, and I can think of the one in Pittsburgh, the one that jumped yeah. to mind for me is Detroit. Little Caesars Arena, but it was brand new. And so it was built yeah. as part of the plan. Right. And it's spectacular, you know, big, luxurious space right out of the stands. Like, I know where, because I remember when the Canucks said their final media availability at the end of the season, they had already started to knock down some walls. Like, I know where they're planning, but retrofitting, as they found out with locker room space and other things, that's different than building from the ground up. And so I'm going to be curious just to see. I'm sure they'll do the interior or the decor and everything else upright when you're charging those kind of prices you have no other choice but but i am fat i'm with you and and maybe this is way inside baseball for a lot of people but the traffic flow at ice level and you know i think one of the things because i remember you know it's funny you said like just pick up things here and there i remember somebody sent me a job posting the canucks were looking for manager of like premium suites and stuff and somewhere in that job description it said this ice level lounge you know and it was like oh hey well like you know (laughs) really that doesn't exist right now but clearly this is in the works so i remember picking up on that and then you get little bits of information here or there but but also i think part of this idea of you know they're going to create this space so one of the perks is watching the players walk down the tunnel right to the ice and I'm still having trouble sort of figuring out unless the Canucks do. Sometimes they've come out of their locker room and gone the long way around to come out the Zamboni or the Olympia Tunnel. Um, but it's just, again, workflow and, and we're getting way inside of things here. I know that. But I, I'm just fascinated to see how this all ultimately plays out on games. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think was suggested to me is that essentially to access the actual lounge and, you know, you you, you have part. I mean, it. Most season ticket holders have parking underneath. I know parking is being redone to a degree in some of those workshops that are, you know, we walk past under the stands or I believe are being actually located down to P1. Yeah, no, it's all inside baseball. They've taken up a bunch of parking spots for storage. Yeah. They don't have enough storage. Yeah. But, you know, there is suppose I've heard there's going to be a direct elevator. Like that's how they get in. And that's how I guess you get into that space. Yeah, because I think, you know, if you look, think about the other arenas we've been to, you end up, there isn't usually like concourse access or there's an right. event level elevator or whatever. But, um, you know, yeah, the, I mean, without dwelling too far on the only only thing I can imagine on the, if there is going to be a walk-up thing, that far wall, which we almost never see in the in the hallway. First of all, as I've been explaining to people, as we all remember, the when Torts went after Bob Hartley and everyone remembered noticing Kevin Bieksa peeking, peeking uh, down the end of the hallway, that door actually goes to the, that's where the x-ray area. The x-ray machine is so you know they're they're also working around some like exist i mean whether that's getting moved i don't know but like you know there are there is some treatment stuff around there but anyway the, the far wall in that hallway has had canuck sweaters sort of a, sort of a display case for you know i mean as long as since they first kind of redid the current version of the for current renovated to the current sort of setup of, of the room so maybe they're just going to take that out and add some windows i mean who knows but we'll see i guess 
First chance to talk to you about Vitaly Kravtsov heading back to Russia. Your thoughts on that? I mean, as I said the other day on S&P, like, you know, I mean, it, he was a nice guy to talk to, but I kind of always found myself wondering how much, like, how much fun he was having, like how much did he love the game? Who knows? Everyone has different body language and everybody expresses himself in a different ways. We certainly know he did not have any fun in New York and, and was not to his liking multiple times and was, was you know very pleased to be traded away. Uh, and, you know, I mean, when I talked to Sergey Gonchar about him in in March or whatever that was, you know, part of Gonchar's belief was that this was a guy that just needed, he needed a restart and he needed sort of a bit of a sort of a, you know, a culture that he maybe felt he fit into better. And, you know, obviously the Canucks have leaned quite heavily into having some Russians and having that kind of angle. And and so my impression certainly was that that was their, that was their interest in, in Kravtsov is that they believed that he was a guy who needed a fresh start and that having, you know, the likes of Kuzmenko and and put Coles in hand and Gonchar around would, would help him sort of find his way in the NHL. But, you know, when I texted Dan Milstein said, this is true, he just gave me the, I guess so, kind of reaction. And, you know, in the end, as Dan confirmed to me, you know, he only represents players in North America. So, you know, it's not unusual for guys to have a, a separate representative in, in, in Russia. But, you know, I think it was one of those ones where obviously the, the guy, I mean, I don't know. he's had he had some success in the KHL last year. Like it was, it wasn't like it was. It's not like it's an unfamiliar place to him. So yeah, I mean, he had told me at one point, yeah, he was going to go back. He had to he had to take a course at school this year to sort of maintain his exemption. Essentially, <laughs> we could read between the lines on that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I you know, I mean, he's he's back. It's don't. I'm curious on why the Canucks really feel about it. I mean, obviously they made the trade thinking this was a roll of dice, but I don't know. As I think I said to Jeff late in the season, it was all you could always see what he was trying to do, but it was always felt like a half step, half step too late. And I just was not sure there was ever going to be a way to fix that problem. All right, so that's Kravtsov, and we figure he'll go and play in the KHL. What are you making of Arthur Silovs and his performance at the Worlds and? Like, ultimately, what do you think this does to shape anybody's opinion on where it goes from here for? Well, there is absolutely no doubt. And, uh, you know, I talked to you, know, you talked to the bits and pieces you can gather when you are able to get something out of the Canucks is that this, they're very pleased with how his season went. You know, he's 22. He had a very strong season in the AHL as essentially, you know, the most consistent sort of number, most consistent guy there, whether he was number one or not. I mean, you could debate he was the MVP of the season. And, and for a guy that didn't get to play a ton in the previous couple of years, it was especially notable, I think, how, how sort of strong his year was. Now, you know, he's not, it wasn't like he was a superstar and he's a guy that must play in the NHL next year. But certainly even the progress we saw of him playing when he had his, what, five games with the Canucks in the NHL, like, you know, from a guy that was a little bit starstruck against the Rangers and and the immediate improvements and sort of way he kind of, you know, the reps, just that, okay, this is how it goes. Okay, this is how, it, oh, okay, okay, okay. You know, that, that he now knows what the task is. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. And, you know, obviously, Ian Clark is very high on him. Hmm. believes in, you know, even I remember when they first drafted him, the first development camp, I talked to Ian a bit about him and he just said, you know, it's, it's, as he likes to say, it's length, you know, it's not just like how long his limbs are, but it's also how athletic he is and, and his, you know, certain elements of what Clark believes a goalie needs to, you know, sort of in his toolkit, whether, you know, just in terms of his physical abilities, but also in his, in his mental makeup, 
and uh, and and this is a guy that is a message. I'm I'm drawing a blank on the fellow's name. He he does some work for HF, not Lucas Bradley, who or Lucas who's who's here in Vancouver, but their guy, one of their guys, is based in Prague. Who's a Canadian who's, who's been covering the worlds, and I just he he got all the quotes from Seeloff's post game. I think after pool play, and I just messaged him. He's just such a when he's on, and he is just and he is he is a bit can be a bit short, but like he is also you know you can see there's a sense of humor, and he's a, he's sort of he he is like so many goalies we've seen before. He's you know you can go the intense intense you know serious business way that you know certainly we got a lot most, almost all the time from Jacob Markstrom, and you know certainly that was my impression of Ryan Miller. But then you can have a little bit of a goofy angle in the way that we you know Eddie Lack perhaps was the most extreme version of that, but yeah. And once he kind of unveiled himself, you started getting more of that from the likes of Roberto Luongo and and certainly Colin Delia is that kind of guy. And 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 uh yeah, so he's not he's not a captain serious. He's not he's not all he's not at the same time, he's not loosey goosey like Eddie Lack, but he's he's he has a demeanor to him that you can see why he's got some self-confidence and you know he's gonna have he is likely to have some success because of that. And so it's not a surprise to me that he's played as well as he has and helped Latvia pull off an incredible run. What do you think his future is with the Canucks? Well, I mean, this is the big debate. I think we talked about it before, but but yeah, is he, is he going to be the backup next year? I think more than likely they'll keep him in Abbotsford. Yeah. They'll let him have another year there. They, they can bring Spencer Martin back to be the backup. If that goes sideways, you can always switch to Seelofs. Uh, and have him be the backup. They've got yeah. uh, they've got uh, Tolopilo, you know, the new Bel- Belarusian kid coming in, who's obviously going to be there as well. But they've got four four goalies, you know, three of whom, well, two of whom they clearly have a, a ton of confidence in, in in Demko and I think Silovs, Martin. You know, they 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 signed him with a purpose, and I think he still serves that purpose, even if he struggled mid season. And then other, you know. Yeah, I'm very high on Tolapilo. I had the great conversation with Ian Clark about him and just the, the sort of the curve, the curve, the, the growth curve they think there is it's still in his game, even though he's, you know, in his mid-20s. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a mix here of four guys that you can understand why each one of them is here now. And and I I think Seelovs will again get that. He'll be the guy to take the ball in, in Abbotsford. And if anything goes wrong with Spencer Martin, they can just swap them out. The 11th overall pick seems to now be a curious fascination around the National yeah. Hockey League. I mean, look, we're a month out from the draft. The Canucks yeah. haven't done anything to shed salary yeah. yet. Yeah. Uh, I know you wrote about this as well. You wrote about it because on a lot of levels, the Canucks and the Blackhawks seem like there's something there. Yeah, I mean, I called it not a ridiculous idea, right? <laughs> like, uh, you know, obviously you'd like to pick at 11, but the Canucks, here they are, right? They're in this pickle. It's partly their own making, but it's partly not. They, they, but they need to change something. And they, you know, they, it's no, no shock that they need right. to change something. They literally, you know, they have at a certain level, they already have too many wingers, even if you weren't talking about the cap problem that they're, that they have essentially set themselves with. Now, part of this, I was thinking about this, you know, they have to sign a couple defensemen. You know, Ethan Bear is one of them. You look at, I mean, I find myself wondering, I look at Tucker Pullman and I look at Tanner Pearson and I find myself, is this just there? Just could be the next LTIR guys. Like, is that just, that's $5 million right there, right? Like that is, there's actually a decent amount of stuff you can work with. If it comes, neither of those guys is going to play ever again for this team. And, you know, I think there's a reasonable case for both. Uh, You know, obviously they talked, everyone talked positively, but every, you know, all the noise on Tanner Pearson's camp, you know, if we listen, especially if we don't listen to what Rick Dollywell's been saying, like it does not sound good. And I think, you know, how, you know, I'm still a bit surprised that Pearson was put up at all. 
the end of the season there and we saw him. we saw how he felt and even when he was leaving like we saw him in the hallway like farhan and i saw him in the hallway and farhan tried to basically say hey let's pretend i hope you understand and tanner said yeah basically was like yeah yeah whatever like he wasn't he wasn't happy like i get it like it sucks so you know who knows and pullman i mean you know that essentially you know the impression you have is that this is a guy that they've done with the canucks are sort of we're not sure what else to do here if he can find something that cures what he's dealing with but you know, again, this is this is the weird worlds of head injuries, of concussions, of migraines. I mean, whether it's a whether it's lasting effects from a concussion or simply a guy dealing with migraines. I mean, I'm fortunate. I I I don't deal with that. I but you know, I certainly have a friend who deals with migraines, and and you know, you hear about the people who have these chronic issues, and it's just if this is that's it. I mean, that's tough. You know, so there is a bit of wiggle room for them, but nonetheless. You know, you look at the roster and you look as well. Like the thing that's interesting to me, and I think a lot about this, and I tried to ask Alvin about it, but he wasn't really having it or he just didn't understand what I was driving at. But, you know, adding a second round pick, especially when you're in the Canucks position, is not nothing, right? Like it's another, it's a Niels Hoaglander. Like it's a useful, it's not a star, but it's a useful roster player. And so adding a guy like that is is you know adding that kind of a pick when you don't have one while also maintaining it you know 19 obviously was which pick that chicago would be moving if in this scenario it's still a solid pick like it's not it's still not 11 and 11 is still not five and five is obviously still not one but it's not a terrible pick you know i mean as i as i've said more than once like if you look at the 2020 draft was it the 2020 draft i'm not trying to play yeah the 2020 draft you know as of the beginning of the mid-season you know 18 of the tw- top 20 picks had played in the, were playing in the nhl like like it wasn't it's not it's not like this is it's not like you know especially in the first round now it's not like this is a spot that um, is a nothing player like Braden Schneider, who a defenseman a lot of people like, yeah. you know, and connected to the Canucks when all that chatter was, you know, there was all the Miller chatter as as a, as an example. You know, he he was drafted 19th in 2020, right? He's played 124 games in the NHL. Like it only took him one year to get in the league. So, you know, he played basically half a season at Hartford after playing a junior, and then he was ready for the NHL. And and, you know, there's a guy, there's a great example of the kind of player that you could still get. I mean, I wrote about 11, you know, you look at 11, you took it 11, like 2010 or 2020, just to go that to Cole Perfetti was the guy who picked 10th, Anton Lundell, who is playing a key role for the Panthers, right? Like he was drafted 12th. Like you're getting a pretty solid player in that range. Askarov, Yaroslav Askarov was the, was the goalie that Nashville picked there and is sort of the guy of the future for them. So, you know, I mean... In all these spots, you are finding really handy players. And so that's kind of it. You kind of get it. You're like, ideally, you'd be picking the pick you have, but the Canucks are in a pickle and they've got to get creative. And if, you know, the other thing that's something, you know, I talked to someone about this for the story that I wrote was that Chicago, in the end, you know, they, rec- they first of all, they, they are going to draft Connor Bernard. They need guys. Like, they don't have anybody. If you literally look at the roster, you know, it's it's wild looking at the fact that they literally are going to be able... They are, in many ways, an expansion team who don't have to pick up any junk. They can go for whatever they want. And... and yeah, like 40 million in cap space. It's wild. And well, yeah. it's just roster space. Like, I'll just let me see if I... You know, it's just wild. Like, they, they have nothing on the books. Yeah. It completely cleared the decks. And like Tyler Johnson, you know, and they've got Tyler Johnson, Jason Dickinson as the two highest paid forwards whose contracts are UFA at the end of the season, right? Like 
Blackhawks can begin a process of building a roster that basically is optimized for Bedard's third year as a, on his ELC, right? When he's making next to nothing. It is, this is going to be the great sort of experiment of people who want to see a team try to build this way around their young superstar. Like Edmonton screwed that up. And so now here's the, the new version of that. Uh, so yeah, they, they're a team that need players. They can do some favors for you. And the advantage this person pointed out to me over Arizona, Chicago has money. Like they have actual cash. Like Arizona doesn't have cash. That's yeah. their problem. Yeah. And so Chicago is going to be able to, in many ways, out leverage themselves to sort of do these kinds of moves. So if that means adding the likes of, I don't know, Connor Garland or Brock Besser, I mean, the Canucks, I think in their ideal scenario, probably get rid of Tyler Myers, but like the two guys that are probably more, both Besser and Garland are, I think are more, would be more appealing to a team like the Blackhawks. Yeah. Uh, partly. And because, with Myers's money, that's involved as well, right? It's well, going to take, I mean, the, thing, yeah, the difference there, you know, so trading for a couple of guys with term versus a couple of guys, and term obviously is a loose term because it's, you know, they're signed for beyond this year. Myers contracts up this year. So, you know, that, that comes back. But I mean, you look at, you do look at the back end in Chicago. They've got Seth Jones. Obviously they picked up, they've already kind of got their Tyler Myers and Nikita Zaitsev, <laughs> but they've got Connor Murphy. They've got Caleb Jones, Ian Mitchell, both needing contracts. Like they can do kind of whatever they want on the back end there. They don't have to necessarily do that. But up front, you know, they could use a guy like, a guy like Connor Garland, even a guy like Brock Besser. Like I, I said more than once, I feel think a lot of Brock Besser as a person. I think he's a very professional person. Obviously, you know, the the sort of uh, the skating is something people are talking about, but, you know, he had a very good season despite everything. He, he continues to produce. Now, he didn't score as many goals as you would want, but he is literally a second-line winger. Like, this is what they are. He may not be, I don't know if he's a championship second-line winger, but Brock Besser makes your team better if he's in the lineup. And yeah, and if you're Brock Besser and you're looking at Chicago, probably going, hey, that's well, a pretty... Well, that's it. He right? doesn't want to get traded. You know, I mean, he basically said, I want to stay here. This is where I want sure. to be. You know, the, the the sort of twists and turns of the season, he once he got past that, I mean, we know how much he loves it here. And I've talked to him, and he talked to me for when we nom- PHW nominated for the Masterton. We talk a lot about what this place has meant to him, and it means yeah. a lot to him. It means a lot to him. It means a lot to his family. You know, I mean, in the end, I think he knows it's a business and nothing is forever. But, you know, he was asked, would you like to stay here? And he was like, yeah, this is where I want to be. So we'll see. But yeah, there's certainly logic to it. As I wrote, you know, there's a, it's not perfect. It's not what you should be want. It's not what you should want to have to do, no. but the Canucks have to do something. So here we are. Look at that. Stealing J-Pat's line right there. <laughs> do something. Dude, well, you something. did something today for us, EJ. So we thank you for that. Now we'll uh, go and go enjoy the sunshine, but thanks for joining. No, I have to still write. I can't ah. go to sunshine yet. Pool later. The pool is open All back right. at our complex. So we'll hit the pool later. All right. Well, get your uh, speedo ready for that. All right. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog, the place to make a play on free casino games and sports odds. Let's get to some playoff talk, which, as always, JPAD is presented by Jason Hominick at Jason. 
mortgage. Yeah, temperatures are heating up again. So is the real estate market. And if you're one of those that has, you know, scrounged your pennies and nickels and I guess people don't have coin anymore. So what am I talking about? But if you, have, dollars. <laughs> if you have saved, if you're one of the lucky ones that saved and you're in a position to get into the housing market, this is where reality hits. And now it's time for a mortgage. Yeah, you probably want some help there finding the best product for you and your family. And that's where Jason Hominick comes in. He's been saving rink-wide and Sakara surprise listeners thousands of dollars. Like he is saving people money here. So you know, we don't just say this. He's got stories to tell. People will give you testimonials if you want. Jason Hominick's been at this for close to 30 years in that mortgage game. He's got the answers that you need. So hit him up, get him on your side as you get into the housing market. Jason Hominick at Jason. Dot mortgage. Anytime you can use the phrase staved off, mm-hmm. you got to do it. And yeah. the Dallas Stars staved off elimination. I know Don Taylor loves that line. Hey, uh, Jason Robertson night, showed up. There you go. Yes, your boy. Mm-hmm. Funny too. I was looking at the stats for the Stars. I mean, he is second in scoring on the team. It's yep. just that he hasn't been doing what he you know did 46 times in the regular season. But he got two last night. He's got four goals now in the series. But Joe Pavelski with the PP game winner, his fourth game winning goal of the postseason. This guy is clutch when it comes to the postseason and the stars able to, as I mentioned, stave off elimination. Still 3-1 now for VGK, but they'll live to play another game, do Dallas. Yeah, they got it done without Jamie Benn, who's yeah. suspended and will be again for game five. And I know that some of the stars were saying, like, you know, we're just trying to push this thing so that we get our captain back and see what happens. They're going to have to go into Vegas and win a game five. That's not going to be easy. If they do, though, you know, then Ben returns. They're at home, probably planting the seed of doubt in Vegas's mind. I thought a pretty well-played hockey game both ways. Like, yeah, it was you know, fun. Yeah. Overtime, right? And then a penalty in overtime. Uh, yeah, what can you say about Pavelski? Now the active goal-scoring leader in Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, more than Ovi, more than Sid. And, of course, they have their rings. They're not going to trade those. But uh, Joe Pavelski's just been at this a long time. Remarkably productive. Still going strong. Big part of the Dallas Stars. And, you know, puck in his wheelhouse. And bam, to the back of the net. So, uh, yeah, they're not done yet. We don't have our Stanley Cup final matchup. And... We will see if the stars can feed off that or if Vegas is like, enough's enough. We're going to get this done at the Fortress at T-Mobile in game number five. I thought the goalies were good in that game too, but both Ottinger and Hill, there were some really good high danger chances that they, they stopped. So yeah, interested to see how this goes. But again, Vegas still in the driver's seat in that series. I didn't hit my parlay because I had VGK on the money line and under five and a half goals. I got the goal part right, but I uh, didn't hit the money line so tonight or actually this weekend that is because as we head into the weekend here looking at a couple of games in the world hockey championship the semifinals now (laughs) i don't know like i said on yesterday's pod you know maybe latvia could pull off a crazy win over canada well bodog doesn't feel all that uh that latvia is going to win this they're at plus 375 to beat canada canada's at minus 500 jpat so maybe let's look at the goal total over-under is pretty much a pick right now. Let's take the under. Canada hasn't been scoring a lot of goals. I know they did against Latvia, but we've seen the way that Archer Seelofs has been playing in this uh, a tournament since he's taken over. So let's take Canada under five goals at minus 105 in that game. And then in the Can- Germany-USA game, USA minus 300 in that one. Let's take the over in goals in that one at five goals at minus 130. I think we... 
are in a crash course to see Canada and USA in that gold medal game, J-Pat. And um, yeah, like we batted around on, on a previous podcast, like that's pretty remarkable for the USA roster considering both of us went, what? Who? <laughs> on this team? Yeah, Casey DeSmith's been really good for them in goal. Yeah. And some of these younger guys have uh, stepped up and, and done their thing. And, you know, there's a sprinkle of NHL veterans, Connor Garland. We've been keeping an eye on him. And Nick Benino obviously is the captain. Uh, but yeah, like they've just, you know, you always hear it about these tournaments, you know, they bring guys together from different backgrounds and different levels, but it's about who can become a team. And it looks like David Quinn's done a nice job uh, getting that group to play the way that he wants on the larger ice. And they've sort of, you know, no pressure on them. And they've just kind of quietly gone about their business. I'm really interested. I think what interests me maybe more than the game itself is the series or this whole thing shifts now to temporary Finland for the semifinal and the final. So Canada and Latvia had both been playing in Riga, but you think about it, the Finns have been eliminated from this tournament. So how many tickets all of a sudden flood the open market? I would bet, even though the game is being played in Finland, the Latvians, and we've seen the way that they've been celebrating, they've been partying. If I looked at the map properly, looks like it's like an eight or a nine hour drive from Riga to temporary. It's about an hour flight. It's kind of like from here to Calgary-ish. Um, but this Latvian team has a chance to do something it's never done before, win a medal at the World Hockey Championship. Like, I bet you that rink feels like it's in Latvia. I bet you that there'll be eight or 10,000 fans that make the trek. Why wouldn't you on a weekend to support your team the way that they support their team? Like the way that they are behind that Latvian team, like it makes me wonder here in North America, like, do we even like hockey? (laughs) (laughs) We think of it, we think of it, it's our game. I mean, I guess you see those outside mosh pits outside of a lot of the NHL rinks. This was looked a little larger in scale, but still just like and then there was all the social posts of like the party and was going late into the night on a friday after they had punched their ticket to the semifinals so just having a ton of fun and i i would expect that even though it's sort of quote unquote a neutral site game there will be a decidedly latvian feel in that rink uh for the semifinal yeah they really embrace many times over in europe and also too like travel in europe's a lot easier right like it just seems flights are cheaper and so you're you're absolutely right I wouldn't be surprised if it is pro-Latvia in there, but it's going to be tough for them to beat Canada in that game. We'll keep our eye on that. But like I said, Bodog doesn't believe in Latvia right now at plus 375. So if you do, if you think it could be an arty party and he could steal the game, hey, you could make yourself some dollars at plus 375. All right, we'll definitely have our eye on that over the weekend here. And we'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast. Many thanks to Patrick Johnston, of course for joining us. This has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver Podcast presented by Bodog. For Jeff Patterson, I'm Andrew Wad. Remember, Rinkwide is the show. Oh, let's do it.